Welcome to Bob Cargill's Marketing Show, a ridiculously awesome podcast bursting with insightful commentaries and intriguing conversations on the topics and issues that are on the minds of marketers, advertisers, social media, and PR professionals today. Hey, everybody, this is Bob Cargill from Bob Cargill's Marketing Show. We are recording episode 134 today. I can't believe it. Love it. Things are moving along. Things are moving along positively lately, huh? We're getting through the summer. It's been great weather here in the Boston area, and we're getting through the pandemic crossing our fingers, saying our prayers, thinking, yes, James, thinking of those who have suffered due to COVID-19. So sorry for um, all the people who have been affected and grieving the loss of, of those who um, have, have succumbed to COVID-19. We still have to be careful, um, but there is uh, brighter days ahead, and, and that's a good thing. Hey, everybody, again, this is Bob Cargill, and episode 134, and it's episode 134 with James Gardner. Hi, James. How are you? <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Thrilled to be with you today. I'm so glad you're here, James. It's a long overdue conversation. Let me tell our listeners and anyone who is watching on video, it's Tuesday, July 27, 2021. Like I said, we're almost halfway through the summer, maybe more than that. I don't know in terms of the exact um, number of days in the summer and where we are, but, but I'm looking outside and it's a hot, sunny day. I can tell you that. I've been indoors working most of the day. But after this recording, I'm going to step outside, maybe run a few miles like I do almost every day. But but yes, I hope everybody who's listening and watching is enjoying their summer. And I know you are all looking forward to, as much as I am, my conversation with James Gardner. Let me tell you just a little bit about James, and then he's going to tell you a lot more about himself, because that's always my first question, asking our guests to say what they do, who they are, et cetera, et cetera. Let me tell you about James. James is a digital sales and marketing leader with 20 years of B2C and B2B experience. While his career's roots are in consumer packaged goods and strategy consulting, James has held leadership roles with fast-moving tech startups, established Fortune 1000 leaders, and forward-leaning digital marketing agencies. James started his career with Procter & Gamble before earning his MBA at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management. Since then, James has served clients as a consultant with McKinsey & Company, led complex digital projects while agency side, and built several high-performing marketing teams. Now we're getting to the part that I can relate to because I met James at Northeastern University. That's where he teaches digital media. And James has been very kind to ask me to be a guest speaker at his class classes many times over the last few years. So it's finally my turn to ask James to, to join my program, if you will. Uh, he's a contributing edit editor for MedTech Boston, and he actively mentors startups from Mass Challenge and the Harvard Innovation Lab. James, as I was just saying, you have been so kind to ask me to be a guest speaker in your classroom at Northeastern University. It's about darn time I asked you to be my guest on Bob Cargill's Marketing Show. Thanks for being here, and please tell everybody about your professional journey uh, in a nutshell or, or even more than that. Take your time. Tell us all about yourself. Well, Bob, um, first of all, thanks again for having me on the show today. It really is a thrill and an honor to join you and your friends uh, for the next 40 minutes or so. Um, it means a lot, and I really appreciate the, the kindness that you've extended to me. Um, and I don't even recognize the person that you just introduced. Um, I, I suppose it is me, um, but humbly, um, I'm not half the man you described. <laughs> but I no, you're one that. and a half man. That <laughs> I just the you're one and a half the man I just described. You are do not <laughs> undersell yourself, James. You are an amazing human being. You know so many people. You're a great teacher. I haven't worked with you, but I can imagine what a fantastic colleague you are. But again, uh, I don't want to steal your thunder. <laughs> yeah, that's so flattering. Um, as you, as you um, described, I'm a lifelong uh, B2C and B2B marketer um, with a lot of sales experience along the way. And um, the journey is a complex one, but briefly, um, I grew up in Toronto. So there's a Canadian accent that uh, some of your listeners may pick up on occasionally, although I've been south of the border going on 20 plus years now. Um, there are certain phrases that will be a, a tell <laughs> for those with good ears. But I started my career uh, at Procter & Gamble. 
which is the best place I can imagine to start a career and start a professional life. Um, it really is a terrific organization. They train, they invest in their people. Obviously, they've got a terrific stable of brands and they really know what they're doing. So I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but I certainly learned from some really smart people about the nuts and bolts of consumer packaged goods marketing and have carried those lessons with me um, through the rest of my life. Um, but shortly after uh, my stint at PNG, I jumped across the border to go to school at Northwestern, as you described, really looking to accelerate my marketing uh, chops and take my skills to a whole new level. Um, and Northwestern was a terrific experience to do that. It's renowned as a marketing-centric uh, MBA program. So highly endorse uh, anyone who would consider going there for uh, graduate studies. And then I stayed on in Chicago because I really loved uh, the city and found it just a wonderful place to start my postgraduate school career. And I worked with McKinsey and Company in their consumer goods and retailing practice for almost five years, uh, working with organizations, um, both CPG, uh, but also retailing throughout the Midwest, helping them solve super complex, super challenging problems, and had the wonderful experience of working both with wonderful clients, um, but also just terrific colleagues, um, wicked smart folks. and. Um, they just challenge you to take your game to the next level every day, which is um, a great lesson learned for your audience. You know, work with wonderful people that challenge you and you'll rise um, just by being exposed to um, their ambitions and their talents. Uh, I then um, jumped out of corporate America in the traditional sense and reload uh, to Boston with my wife and have spent the last 20 or so years working traditionally, uh, for the most part rather, in digital agencies um, and digital startups. That's been the, uh, the bulk of my time here in Boston. And I've had the good fortune of working with some of the best clients, uh, some of the agencies that are located in Boston, but also working with great colleagues at various startups and smaller organizations, building marketing, or marketing teams, uh, launching brands, and um, helping in large part uh, healthcare clients, which has been a more recent passion of mine take their journeys uh, online and serve patients more successfully. So there's a lot there to unpack, Bob. Um, everything from my early days at Procter & Gamble to strategy consulting at McKinsey through a number of agencies and then also startups. So pick and choose what you'd like to drill into or we can move on. Your call. I love it, James. And, and some of this I'm, I'm somewhat intimately familiar with from, from having known you over the last few years, but again, we've never worked together. And, and usually when we are together, I'm doing the talking in your class. We're not necessarily having a 40 minute long or so conversation like today. So you know what I say to people about having a podcast? I get to know my guests. I could know someone like yourself for years, but then I talk to them one-on-one -on -one with no distractions, right. but you know, 40 minutes to an hour. And I learn things I've never learned about them before. Um, your background, you know, you and I are kind of parallel professional lives to some degree. You have the P&G start. I started at RCA mm. uh, for yeah. my first job and then Warner Brothers, so, you know, iconic companies as is Procter & Gamble. Um, so I love the backgrounds that we, we share in common and also the lesson you pointed out because I do like to teach like you love to teach and teach yeah. lessons and, and whether I'm writing or, or re, you know, recording a podcast, working with people, you said they challenge you and, and, and I don't know if water seeps to its own level, if that's the right uh, um, axiom, but, but we tend to work like those who are around us. So nice lesson for, for younger people early in their career. Am I right? Surround yourself with the right people. Oh, I think you're so right. I think there's an expression that you, um, over time, become the average of the five to 10 people that you spend the most time with. Wow. So, so just process that. Yeah. Like if you're surrounded by <laughs> laggards and dullards and uh, negativity, uh, that can't help but influence your mindset and, and your thinking. On the other hand, if you're surrounded by ambitious, smart, hardworking people that are fun-loving and are achieving uh, you know, over and above, uh, that's going to rub off on you. So that's a, definitely a lesson learned um, for everyone. And I can't help but just process, yes, the, the parallel tracks that we've had in starting our careers <laughs> at leading organizations. 
and I'm often asked, like James, uh, or Professor James, what would you recommend? Uh, start my career at a at a startup, um, you know, where it's fast and loose, and we're moving really quickly, or start my career at a PNG or at a RCA or another large organization. And obviously, there's pros and cons to to both types of organizations, but I've concluded over time that there's so many benefits to starting a career in an organization where at least there's a fundamental approach to doing things the right way. Uh, if, I can, if I can say that without sounding uh, like a fuddy-duddy, but I really believe there are best practices and there are um, lessons learned that organizations like P&G uh, have just developed over the years. And it's one thing to eventually be in a situation where you can break rules and move fast and uh, get things done in a small organization. But there's also something to be said about knowing what those best practices are and anchoring uh, the early part of your career in those. What are your thoughts about that, Bob? <laughs> I, I, you couldn't, it couldn't have been a better segue because I'm, I'm writing down something you just said. And thank you for asking me what, what, what I think because um, I wanted to say something. You yeah. mentioned lessons learned and I'm not at all please <laughs> trying to do a shameless plug of my forthcoming book, but lessons learned is in the title and, ah. and it's all about the places I've worked and it ties so much into the conversation we're already having because yeah, you work at these big companies, you learn a lot and sometimes you might even learn by bumping your head because you're going to be given the opportunity, but you're surrounded by such good people that they won't let you fall. They'll catch you. Right. So, right. It's a great training ground, these big companies. I agree with you 110%. And also the surrounding yourself with great people. In writing my book, I was telling you before I pressed record that I'm reaching back out to some former employees I haven't talked to in a long time because the book's about lessons they taught me. And I'm saying to myself, right, wow, right. I've been so lucky, not really realizing it at the time, but I've learned from so many great people. And I never heard the expression you said, you're the sum or the average or all the five and 10 people. If I string together my 20 bosses or 20 jobs I've had, because that's the name of my book right now, working title, 20 jobs, 20 lessons. Yeah, yeah. To say, if I can say I'm the average of those 20 bosses, I'm a lucky man because those are great bosses. And great oh, companies. I like that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you set that up for me and you, we didn't even plan it. <laughs> so we've both been blessed uh, earlier in our careers to have been yes. surrounded by mentors, coaches, and people that really invested in our success. And I could be wrong. Uh, I'm sure there's people like that in smaller organizations, but I've found just on average that they do tend to congregate in organizations like McKinsey or P&G or some of the organizations you've worked at. So maybe as a starting point for the first five to 10 years in your career, consider investing in yourself and developing that foundation of skills and that foundation of lessons learned from people that truly understand best practices. And then I would suggest take those into the world of startups or small yeah. organizations um, with the confidence that you've seen how corporate America rolls, you've seen what works um, and you've got the skills and expertise and knowledge to stick to those uh, when you know it's gonna work and break those rules at the same time when you feel confident that something different is needed. That's just my take. It's sage advice, James. About those lessons, if I can ask you to be specific, are there any one or two at any point in your career lessons you learned that you, you those, those learnings you've carried with you to this day and maybe share with, with your students now? Gosh, some of the observations and uh, takes that I took away from P&G, they, they seem so obvious um, and they seem uh, so self-evident. And yet you and I can attest so much of what's common sense is not very common. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And we could debate why, but it just is what it is. Um, but P&G, to their credit, I mean, they're not a perfect organization, but things like relentlessly listening to the voice of the customer mm. and that seems obvious but they invest more money and more time into understanding unmet needs and un unmet challenges and problems and things that consumers want different uh, even when consumers can't even articulate that they have a problem they're in people's homes they're in people's laundry rooms they're in people's kitchens watching listening learning 
so that they can constantly uh, identify what's not working or why is mom doing it or why is dad doing that in a weird way um, so that they can bring forth a new solution. That's really impressive when you see uh, how far they push that. They're also just really relentless about pushing their technology and always having the next thing in detergents or the next thing in soaps, the next things in toothpaste. And yes, it seems mundane uh, as a consumer, we don't think about this, but there is an arms race and uh, in investing in the technology that allows you to truly have product superiority. That's really, really important to P&G. And then a last lesson learned, just as I reflect on kind of top of mind observations, is just a relentless desire to always improve. So they're always measuring the impact of their efforts, whether it's the effect of a commercial that they produce. They don't stone, put it out there and hope that it's communicating product benefits and um, features successfully. They're measuring its effectiveness. They're measuring brand recall. They're me measuring uh, consumer affinity to purchase so that they can not only improve that commercial, but they can next time do an even better job. So they're just um, always seeking to up their game and figure out why was that not as good as it could have been? And what can we do differently next time? Those all seem like obvious things that every organization should be doing, but I assure your listeners, those practices are not nearly as widespread as they should be. <laughs> and many, many others. <laughs> and if I could, I've, I've, you've started a memory of um, a, a talking point that one of my first bosses at PNG uh, planted with me. And, I'd be curious uh, with your take on this, Bob. Um, she was a very busy, busy manager. And we didn't know better, the, the, the newbies that uh, were reporting to her. Uh, we'd go to her with problems, right? <laughs> this isn't working, or I don't know what to do, or what should I you know, do next? And she instilled in all of us, be the man, it could have been the woman, but be the man with the plan. Don't come mm. to me with your problem. Yeah. I'm yep. not here to solve your problem. Come to me with the problem and two or three recommendations or options and a plan or a recommendation that you think makes the most sense. And it could be wrong. All three of your options could be horrible, but at least you've done the hard work of thinking about possible solutions. And what a great lesson learned uh, amongst many to take away from a first boss because uh, she really wanted to invest in us. and. Um, Obviously, there's a promote from within culture at PNG, uh, which also makes them unique. Um, she couldn't be promoted until one of us or many of us were ready to step into her shoes. So what an incentive to coach and mentor and develop people when you know that um, you can't climb the ladder until you're lifting someone up behind you. So yes, um, have, you, have you seen that before, Bob? Yeah, that, yeah. That no, I wrote culture? down the earlier part of, of that riff. You would talking about uh, experimentation or um, learning and, and I wrote down test and learn. That's something, yes, an yes. expression well in said. marketing, especially in direct marketing, the specific field in, in which, you know, I made my living certainly for many of the early years, test and learn, do it better the next time or test, see what works best and then roll out. So you test to a small mm. audience then roll out to a big Absolutely. audience. In terms of what you're saying about have a plan, yeah, that's should be, isn't always the case, but should be management 101 in terms of what you tell your, um, your, pe your people who report to you. Um, please, you know, don't just come to me with problems. Come to me with problems and your recommended solution. And if you can teach people um, to, to come up with the solutions themselves, they're going to uh, outdistance themselves for the competition for let's so say right. the boss's job and then the boss can move up one notch and you can take over because because you're a solutions provider so yeah absolutely james uh great examples of of um you know learning for and and specific learnings from from earlier um superiors, if you will, and certainly from the bigger companies. The bigger companies, we're just more likely to find those mentors, not that they can't be found in a small company. And I worked at a lot of small companies, but Me too. early yep. in my career was the bigger companies. And I think, like you said, learn best practices and then um, start experimenting. And, and uh, that goes with your career decisions as well. You might try a few different 
smaller type operations. Any other bosses, people, companies you want to give a shout out to, if you will, in terms of what they taught you or how they inspired you, et cetera? I've got so many favorite memories uh, from bosses at P&G and bosses at McKinsey. Um, one recollection from McKinsey, um, when you're so young, you don't even know what you don't know. Um, and I naively uh, sat in on some meetings uh, with some senior client executives alongside my uh, boss at, at McKinsey. And we weren't even 30 seconds down the elevator exiting the building. And he started interrogating me on details of the meeting. And I was flustered because he was really being direct and specific. And what he was getting at is, why were you not taking notes during the meeting, James? You have a less than perfect recall and we're not even out of the building. Uh, fast forward 24 hours, fast forward a week, you will have no recollection of what was promised or what was discussed. And that's unforgivable. <laughs> uh, and I took away that lesson. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I carry it with me to this day amongst many. He was a terrific mentor, a terrific coach, and he valued my track at the, at the firm enough to want to coach me and want me to be successful. And that was one of many lessons. Uh, always take notes in a meeting. You will not remember even half of it tomorrow. Take <laughs> <Yes>. notes. <laughs> and to this day, I see uh, uh, colleagues uh, attending meetings, sitting in on sessions, no note-taking going on. And I can't help but wonder, like, how do they hope to uh, deliver on the promises that have been made or hold people accountable when there's no documentation as to what was discussed or what was agreed. One of many, many things, <laughs> but yeah. he was and, so direct with me that I couldn't help but carry that with me 30 years later. <laughs> and these are the basics, but you and I also, I think before I hit record, we're talking about the basics that perhaps um, people of a uh, certain stage in their career learned when early in their career that perhaps, I don't know for a fact, is not being taught now, but it's just some of the basics like taking notes during a meeting or I'll throw this one out, being on time for a meeting. Being on time. You know, just having an agenda for a meeting. Yeah. Perhaps publishing uh, minutes or notes yep, from after a meeting. meeting. Yeah, and we're just yeah. covering uh, meeting etiquette, if you will, meeting uh, best practices. You know, I don't know if they're covering all of that um, in in orientation on the job nowadays, but they certainly should be. And I'm guessing they are at most places. But I do think the chances of learning these basics are greater, I would think, at the bigger companies because they have the budgets and the person power to put on these big, let's say, week-long orientations, whereas if it's a startup or a 10-person company, they don't have the budget or the time to do all that training. Yeah. I don't like to stereotype. And uh, obviously, I've spent a lot of time in small companies. But you're right. For the most part, startups are moving so quickly uh, that there's not always the time or the resources to do the coaching and the mentoring and the performance evaluations and whatnot. And Bob, you do raise a great point, which concerns me. Um, as we wind our way through the pandemic and we look at the future of work mm, and mm. how and where we're all going to be working, there is a movement um, in some cases by many young people uh, who want to work from home four or five days a week. And that really concerns me because um, I think there is immense value to that mentoring mm -hmm. and coaching and feedback that doesn't happen uh, at the end of a Zoom call when you all disperse. Yep. And the boss may be shaking her head uh, at the comment you made during the meeting, but they never get the chance to actually tell you that was a great observation or that was a great comment or that was a great presentation or you should have done this differently or that was a terrific job you did. None of that mentoring and feedback happens uh, when the entire workforce is dispersed and working remotely. Or if it does happen, it's much more challenging and much more infrequent. We all know uh, the hallway conversations that happen when you're working face-to-face, -face, that's when you get the attaboy or the attagirl uh, from the boss 
or you get invited to a lunch uh, to, you know, talk shop about the meeting or the client mm -hmm. call that you were just on. That's immensely valuable. And it concerns me when I hear of young people passing up that opportunity to have that mentorship uh, from leaders and senior uh, organizational leaders. I would really discourage it uh, if I was a 20 something professional or a 30 something professional looking to climb the ladder. I'd look for every opportunity I could uh, to have that mentorship, have that coaching, have that feedback, have that face-to-face -face time and um, learn uh, what is not shared on a Zoom call typically. No, I, I, Do you I, have thoughts about that? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I agree with you 100%. In terms of the reality, I, I think some of what that movement may be to some degree inevitable, there may be a, a fraction of, of industry categories that can succeed as well, and hey, maybe even more so having people work from home. But I do believe those who work from home absolutely are going to be short shrifted to some degree in terms of, yes, camaraderie, um, you know, communication skills, interpersonal skills. Um, the corporate culture they're going to miss out on. So, right, right, you know, right. hopefully, yes, um, people will see the light, if you will, um, on both sides, meaning employers and employees, and realize the value of being on site. It's a tough one because obviously there are some benefits to having people work from wherever, if you will, yeah. um, you know, there's a cost savings, there's a time savings, but again, the trade-off is they, they lose the chances for, for mentorship and, and, and bonding, which is so, so important. Correct. Um, it's a tough one. And, and I'll be interested to see how it all shakes out in the next year or two. It's definitely an interesting time. Say, so, James, what about any other, during the course of your career, and then we'll, we'll get up to date, if you will, and, and talk. You and I are both teachers. We have to cover that a little bit. Sure, sure. And then even look into the future. Um, but any, and I know there have been many, so uh, time permitting, and, and I have all the time in the world, if you want to share with me accomplishments, some big or, or just notable positive moments in your career that, that you're proud of or that might have been turning points or milestones? So there have definitely been many. Um, I've been blessed, right? Um, and for that, I've got a, a lot of gratitude to leaders that invested in me, uh, programs that graduated me, uh, companies that hired me. So I've had a lot of blessings along the way. And I'm very privileged, uh, if I could be honest with you, uh, for some of the successes that I've enjoyed along the way. Um, and yes, there's been awards, there's been recognitions. I'm actually more drawn just personally to some of the smaller, more personal uh, highlights, uh, things that others may not even have noticed along the way. Um, and as, as I was reflecting on this question, uh, it took me back to circa 2000, um, just as an example, where I was asked by the Food and Drug Administration to testify in Washington on direct-to-consumer advertising which was under a lot of scrutiny, especially in the pharmaceutical category. Uh, and there wasn't a lot of understanding by the FDA around digital and what a website could do for a pharmaceutical brand or for a disease category. And I may not have tipped the balance. I may have had no impact at all, but I'd like to think that I opened the eyes of the commissioners to just the value of digital in that pharmaceutical world, especially around people uh, who were struggling with a disease or struggling with a condition, not even aware that they had a problem. And digital, as we know, uh, even back in 2000, was yeah. increasingly a go-to place to identify symptoms and reach even a preliminary conclusion as to what you might be suffering from and initiate a conversation with a doctor. And yes, this sounds so obvious now, but circa 2000, this was like revolutionary thinking. And there was almost a move to ban digital uh, by pharmaceutical uh, marketers. And I was asked to testify and I brought with me the knowledge having worked with Pfizer and GlaxoSmithKline and others that this was real. This was actually 
critically important. And it was actually making a difference in a lot of people's lives who were self-diagnosing problems and having really important conversations with their physician about disease states. And I brought that to FDA and spoke very passionately. And I hope I made a difference. When <laughs> um, I look back on that as like potentially one of the more significant things I've done in my life in as much as they did move forward with approving a relaxing of standards and uh, enabling pharmaceutical marketers to move forward with websites and paid search advertising and tactics that we now take for granted. I mean, more recently, I've worked with a lot of health systems because uh, healthcare marketing is a real passion of mine. And there's something very gratifying about taking a hospital website that's broken or dysfunctional uh, and is complex to use and bringing best practices and bringing the voice of the customer to the experience and re-architecting the experience and enabling uh, patients to have a much simpler, faster, uh, more convenient journey to health. And that could be everything from identifying the problem they have, finding a clinician and re researching the right one for their family or their loved one, scheduling an appointment, uh, obviously carrying through that uh, treatment, uh, paying their bills afterwards, um, maybe staying as a loyal uh, patient at that hospital. All of that um, can be done digitally. And I've had the good fortune of working with dozens and dozens of health systems uh, and really making care more accessible and more convenient for, for, for patients. And that's also just really gratifying to know that um, while you're not a doctor and you're not delivering care, you're helping those who are. And you're not a doctor, but you play one <laughs> on, on yes. TV. That's a, that was an old ad, yes. right? Um, yes, you're right. You're not a doctor, but you play one as a consultant or, or yeah. something well, of, yeah. of that ilk. In another world, um, I would have loved to have been a doctor or uh, been closer to the delivery of care, but I'm a marketer uh, and given the skills I've got, uh, making care more accessible uh, is kind of the next best thing. Uh, it helps doctors and helps patients. So there's also a lot of gratification that comes from that. It's transformative and, and yeah. I, I love what you're sharing. And yeah, I mean, healthcare, you, you are, they are um, saving lives and to be right behind them, helping them right. to save lives. I agree. It, it's a, it has to be a fulfilling uh, feeling. Um, and, and yeah, I'm right there with you. And in terms of uh, digital in, in healthcare, you know, the patient portals we have now, let's say as consumers, as patients, I love it. I love that I can get test results instantly, that I can email my doctor. And, and like you say, the websites that these hospitals have nowadays, they're so sophisticated and, and you, you, you think back to 20 years ago when it was brand new, you did play an uh, instrumental role or, or should feel that you did um, yes. play a significant role in that you testified. That's a big deal, James. Well, thank you. More generally, Bob, you've, you've stirred up a, th a thought that I'd love to discuss with you, which is the value and the importance uh, of having purpose or a mission in our professional lives mm -hmm. and how motivational that is. And for me, um, healthcare is obviously a very mission-driven field. Uh, as is teaching. And I didn't know this early in my career, but um, the, the value of having a North Star uh, that guides you uh, and that you find a calling uh, mm -hmm. in being attached to, that's incredibly inspirational. And again, I'd encourage your, your listeners to contemplate that. If they are unhappy in their role, perhaps what they're lacking is uh, a larger sense of purpose that motivates them to get out of bed on Monday morning mm -hmm. uh, and slog through some of the more unpleasant parts of the role, knowing that you're serving a higher purpose, which could be access to healthcare for consumers uh, or something of that nature. Yeah. Don't think just, don't think of what you do just as a job. It's, and, and if that is how you think of it, you might want to question if it's the right field for you uh, in which to earn your livelihood because yeah I say to myself you know I think and I think 
you and I are cut from the same cloth in this regard. Probably whatever I did in my career, I would have immersed myself in and made it my calling. I'm just that way. Or I've just been lucky to find a yeah. field that I do feel is my calling because, hey, it's marketing. I'm not saving lives, but I do feel very, you know, I feel like it, it is, I live and breathe it, not just work it. I mean, I, I, I have a passion for it. And if people don't, yeah, you want to, so try to look at it, anyone listening, watching, if you're feeling a tad dissatisfied, see what within your field, within your area of expertise, you can make more a, a bigger calling and, and, Correct. What is your role in that, that, you know, doing something for the greater good? Am I articulating this uh, the way you th were thinking? Yeah, I think that's really well said. And, and that might be a nice segue to our shared passion for being in front of students uh, yeah. in a classroom, um, which is also just another very mission-driven field. Uh, as, as you described, uh, I've had the privilege of being adjunct faculty at Northeastern University's College of Professional Studies going on six years now. And what a privilege it is every week to be in front of a group of super smart, super ambitious, super curious graduate students uh, who are looking to you to shed light on the world of digital media in my case um, and bring in interesting speakers, but more importantly, to communicate the passion that I have and Bob, you've been instrumental in bringing that mission to life uh, as a guest speaker uh, multiple, multiple times. I think you're one of my most popular uh, guests in my classroom, uh, bringing wisdom and insight uh, every semester and really opening up your professional network and helping my students feel the excitement that you have for the field. Well, James, here's, how about yeah. this for a, a, a calling that you could have no matter what you do for a living, learn enough about it so that you can teach it someday. Oh, it's a nice goal that, yes. because doesn't it feel good? We share this fulfillment. We're both teaching now at the college level as, as adjunct faculty members. Um, that's what I am, an adjunct faculty member at two different schools, part-time, loving it and saying, yes. geez, why didn't I do this sooner? But Perhaps the answer is, hey, you didn't know all that you know now <laughs> sooner. So it's a natural progression and a nice goal for any young person. Hey, learn everything you can so you can be one of those thought leaders and maybe even if you want, be a, a college professor someday, sharing what you learned during the course of your career, um, helping others get started in their own career. Because I find so much satisfaction in sharing what I do know with students and seeing their reaction and it feels so good and i'll be honest with you you don't really feel that i don't in in business as much it's a little more uh it's cold it's a colder i'm, I'm trying to write yep. words yep. it's 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 business <laughs> yes yes and and yeah, there's and, something unique about the academic environment yeah and, and I'll just give you an example. Uh, as I said, I've been teaching uh, going on six years or so. So some of my graduates are now fairly well into their careers. And boy, is it exciting to see where their paths have taken them. Because uh, I'm invested in their success, obviously. I'm, I'm just that kind of professor. I follow their careers and I cheer them on. And it's amazing the paths that many of them have taken. They're in large organizations, small organizations. Some of them are back uh, in China or Brazil or Russia or here in America, um, launching just incredible professional journeys. So how exciting is that to know that um, you were there when the rocket ship launched <laughs> and you helped get it off the ground? That's you lit how the I fire, James, in yeah. many cases. You were part of what lit the fire for these students. And I know exactly what you're talking about. I haven't been teaching quite as long, only a few years, two or three years. But yes, I, I see what you're saying, and I do stay in touch with quite a few of my students, and it's very fulfilling. I know some of your students who I've right. stayed in touch with, and I've watched what they're doing, and, and it's very, very impressive. And James, they all sing your praises. They all were inspired by you, and, and also you've connected them to your network, and that 
you know, includes fortunate people like me to be able to meet some of your former students. Yeah. So it might be just instructional to uh, have your audience understand a little bit about how I structure my, my course. Um, I found very it uniquely yes. really successful. Um, so it's a semester based program. We get together for about 13 weeks, uh, once a week. And one of the commitments I make to my class is that um, we'll have guest speakers every week. Um, and it's not just because the professor's lazy and doesn't want to uh, give a lecture for two and a half hours. Uh, it really is based on the belief that the true leaders uh, and the true people that are making things happen in the world of digital media, they're not me. <laughs> they're people in industry, uh, people that have real world knowledge, people that are doing what I teach about every day. So I bring those people into my class and give them uh, the pulpit. Uh, for a full hour to talk about their jobs, their career paths, what they do every day, what they like about their job, what they don't like about their job, and really expose my students to what's going on in the world of digital in a way that one person could never hope to do uh, and one textbook could never hope to do. Um, and of course, there's lectures uh, that go alongside those guest speakers. But the feedback I get from my students consistently is that they treasure the opportunity to rub shoulders with people like you, Bob, who are dialed in to what's really happening. Uh, and of course, they leave the class um, with the world's best professional network, uh, which is an accidental blessing. But I can't count the number of people that now have you in their LinkedIn network as an example and can use you as a connection point to accelerate their careers. So what a blessing that is as well to have learned from you and then to count you as a friend and as a professional connection. No, and that's, thanks to you, James. And, and, and I think, I agree with you uh, again, 110% in that the textbook provides, you know, the, the fundamentals are our lectures as, as professors augment or, or supplement or whatever the right word is, those, what they learn in the textbook, but bringing in people from the real world who are, doing it currently. And, you know, first of all, they're learning, you know, they're getting case studies live. And second of all, something I don't think I got much of when I went to college back in the day um, is that the networking, the connections, because I tell my students, you're all going to come out of here, you know, with similar degrees and probably comparable great grades because you're all rock stars. Right, but right. where you might separate yourself from the 200 other people competing for that same job is you might know somebody at that company if yes. you do networking if you use linkedin if you if you talk to the person i'm trying to connect you with um or who in your case you bring these folks into the classroom and you tell them to stay in touch and they do connect with me and all the others multiply me times like 25 i'm sure or 50 others that you bring in um what a a you know, benefit you are giving your students, James. Uh, again, transformative would be my word. It's really powerful. And let me share a secret with you. Uh, breaking news here on uh, Bob Cargill's marketing uh, podcast. Um, I'm really excited about some guest speakers that are going to be joining me this fall. Uh, Joe Polizzi and Robert Rose, two of the most distinguished <laughs> experts yeah. in the world of content marketing. Wow. Um, published authors, frequent keynote speakers to thousands of folks, friends of mine for years and years. And without a question, when I reached out to them, they raised their hand and said, count us in. We want to be part of what you're doing, James. So they sometimes speak to 2,000 people, yep. 20,000 people on a podcast. Uh, they're going to be speaking to a class of 25. So can you just imagine uh, what an experience that's going to be for my students? Yeah, to... I'm going to ask to attend that class. James. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, You, you are they're literally, the... you, you, you are bringing in like, you know, top, very top shelf um, uh, speakers, thought leaders right there. There's and, very and, few people that say no because uh, everyone loves uh, being part of launching students and launching their careers and be, being given that opportunity to share a passion. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm blessed with a network of friends that always say yes when I ask. Uh, and students Robert and, and Joe are part well. of that. No, you, you need to, well, and this podcast is, 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 an example of what I, I'm going to suggest you need to do. And, and that is like, um, 
you need to copyright or trademark this unique format you have for teaching and 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 bottle it and sell it uh, or or you know because northeastern in you has a gem of a professor and a gem of a curriculum in the courses you teach i appreciate the kind words bob um it really involves doing nothing except what i would want if i was a student i would want a professor that was enthusiastic and passionate and brought everything to the class every week um it's what i would want uh so that's kind of how i've structured my thinking about the classroom experience um we sometimes talk in the class about abc right always be curious yes and that can mean many things but it means always have a sense of enthusiasm always have a sense of curiosity uh always be looking to self-improve um it's both great advice for students it's also just great life advice for all of us uh i know it's a mantra that you live every day i've never <laughs> seen a more curious person and someone that's like committed to like trying new things and doing things differently and always seeking to improve um that's life advice that if people take nothing else away from this interview um would be pretty solid and you know to think again you know i don't know how we initially met james but i know somehow some way you invited me to speak at your class um but who knew we had so much in common in that regard, you know, and, and I, I do, I don't think it's that common, this quality, especially people at a certain stage in their careers, having that ABC, if you will, always be curious quality that I know you have. And that I know I have, um, and I think we're blessed in that regard because I feel I just, Perhaps you're right. I was just born that way. <laughs> can I, I, can't I can't imagine going through life otherwise. Um, so for me, it comes naturally as it does for you yeah. um, to not be curious and to not be self-improving and to not be like a shark always moving forward. Um, it's unimaginable for me. Yes. <laughs> but it's unimaginable to live my life professionally in any other way. I agree. Listen, I'm going to ask you a few more questions and, and then slowly wind down. If, sure. If, if, if you're good with, with that, I, I want to get in these questions. And, and I'm going to ask in terms of outside of your career, outside of the classroom, any thought leaders, any books, any podcasts, any, any anything that has inspired you and and it inspires you today you know in other words what are you curious about today james <laughs> yeah so here's a pro tip that um i share with my students and uh, almost force them to follow through on it um i'm a voracious reader uh not so much of books um but certainly of anything online um blogs uh websites anything that has high quality content professionally i i just want to be on top of that so i'm a huge fan of rss uh reader technology um i've got over 200 rss feeds uh in my dashboard uh, <laughs> yes you're you're applauding how many so people I, besides you and me know what rss is right so <laughs> i coach my students up on this notion of your students do and my students do <laughs> yes we Wait, all know RSS, this... can you explain for our audience or, or do you want me to explain well, I'll explain as best oh, I can, and you, yeah. and you can uh, dumb it down if I nerdify it too much. But we all know there's limitless uh, blogs and people publishing out there. And in a perfect world, we would spend all day visiting each of those websites and reading what they've published. That's completely unrealistic. Um, there's not enough hours in the day to be dropping by all the sites that we potentially could be following. So RSS feeds allow us to subscribe to websites and through a dashboard, uh, get a at a glance look at what's been published and if it catches our attention uh, we don't need to even visit the website to read the article or catch up on the blog post that, that someone has shared so it's a super efficient way professionally to subscribe to a vast number of publications and thought leaders uh, without the effort of actually visiting any of them I yeah, think you I can read that James yep, so this that, is Feedly on my what, phone that's my tool of choice as well. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. And, and so his show and tell. James is just telling, I'm showing. 
RSS real simple syndication. That's what I always thought it was an acronym for real simple syndication. And yes, it's an easy way. The tool strongly enough because uh, absent that, there's absolutely no hope of staying current in a field like digital media or social media. There's just too much knowledge being shared. Um, but at least you've got a chance uh, if you've got a dashboard with all of your insightful thought leaders uh, being brought to you in one place. So that's that's my go-to. I, I'm also just a fanatical listener of podcasts. Yep. Because um, there are moments in the day, you know, when you're out walking or you're doing the dishes or whatnot where you can't have a screen in front of you. Uh, but your ears are available uh, and podcasts <laughs> uniquely fill that void in your day. Uh, so yes, of course I listen to music and I've been known to listen to podcasts that aren't completely educational, but when I can and where I can, uh, I'm always trying to advance my knowledge with podcasters uh, from my field uh, or people sharing interesting ideas um, from outside of my field. So that's also a big part of um, kind of how I try and stay current in what's going on. I love it. I, I, I love that you mentioned RSS feeds and, and blogs and, you know, because, you know, I started my blog in 04, 2004, I'm still yeah. writing it and, you know, not enough, I don't think attention is given to, to the blogosphere, if you will, and, and using RSS to, to get a, a steady uh, cacophony, I'm trying to think of the right word there, of, of um, steady stream of the news you are interested in, but quickly at a glance. Yes. And then you can click through and read it if you want. Like me, you could share it on Twitter after you've read it. Great point. Let me ask you a couple more quest- questions. Um, social media in general, I, know, I think I know the answer, but I want the audience to know the answer. What's your favorite channel how much do you use social media what do you think of social media in general just you know you can go anywhere with that question but social media how about it (laughs) (laughs) so i'm a little lukewarm on social media at the moment which is ironic you know says the man who has ten thousand followers on twitter (laughs) (laughs) and you're and i teach a social media course at northeastern um but i've just become a little more aware of just some of the drawbacks that it has and some of the harm that it causes and so I'm, I'm not as bullish as I was even three years ago um, but that being said I do spend a lot of my time on LinkedIn I, I say that's probably the social platform where I spend more time than the other platforms uh, I, I am very active on Twitter as well um, again with mixed feelings because Twitter can um, be such a cruel and uh, destructive uh, mm. environment. It's got a lot of mean people. So I try and avoid that, but um, it is a useful platform to both share thought leadership, which I do quite frequently, but also just to stay abreast of what my peers and uh, fellow thought leaders are saying. Um, it happens on Twitter, so you can't, you can't ignore it. And then, yeah, in my personal life, uh, obviously I use Facebook, but reluctantly and not with as much frequency as even a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. Just, I've been increasingly turned off by some of their practices. So I, I don't find it a place where I spend more time than I have to, <laughs> to publish photos maybe from the weekend or, or mm-hmm. catch up on friends and family. I but see you there hangout. occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not a hangout the way it used yeah, to be. Yeah. Yeah. So I see um, you more. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No. Please. And then there's uh, some sites that are still in my ecosystem, uh, which I'd like to spend more time on, but I just don't have enough hours in the day. Uh, I love tech talk. I uh, find it really fun and just uh, there's always something silly and amusing going on there. And yes, I know I'm probably three times as old as I should be to be using TikTok, um, but that's just me. I, I still find Same. it a, you, a fun you might, place to be. We might see each other there someday because <laughs> I'm, I'm hanging there occasionally. And I have a few videos there, but they, they, they don't, you know, they're not going viral let's just say that yeah yeah but i still just find it uh interesting to observe and uh see what's going on and um i wish i spent more time on instagram i always enjoy it when i do hang out there it's just it's not part of my daily routine and it hasn't ever been but i do have an account and i enjoy it as much as i as i can that's kind of my go-to no that's a a good rundown james thanks for Mm -hmm. sharing all that the sun is coming in. I don't usually record late in the afternoon like this, and I didn't realize 
I mean, I'm seeing it. I, 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 it's, it's clear that there's some kind of reflection going on that I couldn't fix unless I go and pull the shade and I'm not going to stand up and pull the shade. So there's, there's, there's almost a, little... a, a halo surrounding you, Bob. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Quite the contrary. I'm sure James. I'm, I'm almost hearing a, a chorus of uh, angels. Uh, singing. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That is funny. Hey, so how about we did the past and, and current, I think, and, and throw the, you know, the, the um, obligatory, you know, what do you think about the future of, question at you um, with regard to both teaching in, in marketing and social media or, or any way you want to go with this, but what do you foresee in terms of either, you know, academia or, or marketing or healthcare, any, any of your interests, what, what do you see one, three, five, ten 10 years from now happening? Gosh, I spent so much time thinking about the future. I could go in many, many different directions. I've got strong opinions about healthcare. Uh, I could talk to you about, the disruption of, of healthcare and what's going on there. Cause I, I follow um, parts of it very closely um, with a strong passion for what we call retail health, which is, you know, the, the Walmarts, the Amazons, the dollar generals of the world uh, delivering healthcare, uh, which sounds shocking. You wouldn't imagine that they could or would, um, but they've been in the pharmacy business for years. Yes. So it's really not that much of a stretch. And Walmart has gone so far as to build health clinics uh, in Georgia. Uh, CVS obviously has minute clinics mm -hmm. and different care delivery centers. Amazon is using telehealth as an interesting solution. So all of this is causing a lot of consternation in the world of primary care medicine because uh, it's disruptive, right? Uh, healthcare is notorious for not having a great consumer experience and the notion of these very consumer experience led organizations delivering care concerns many. So I've captured a lot of people's interest uh, as I've thought about that and shared my thoughts. Um, people can find that on my LinkedIn page if they're curious about where I think uh, retail health is going and where primary health is going. In terms of teaching, my gosh, um, I think we're gonna see more and more disruption in the world of higher ed. Um, again, it's very expensive. It's limited to you know people that can afford it, um, which is not the majority of the planet's population that wants to get a Northeastern education and can't get to Boston or can't afford the Northeastern experience. So I'd love to see technology being used to disrupt the higher ed experience and make it much more affordable, make it much more accessible uh, and allow people from every corner of the planet to join my class. Uh, during the pandemic, as you know, uh, we were teaching remotely and I had students over home in Russia or China or Brazil successfully participating in my class. And it, it opened my eyes to how the conventional students in a classroom experience could be completely disrupted. And it, it begged the question, why couldn't I have a class of 2000 people? You could, James, and, and, yeah. and geez, if, if Northeastern could find a way to make that happen, um, you know, that change again, everything? Yeah, it's, it's transformative because they're getting the benefit. I joked, you know, that I want to see Robert Rose and Joe Polizzi speak at your class. I mean, you probably could get 2,000 people to sign up for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I'm really excited about the possibilities for higher ed to reinvent itself and create all kinds of new opportunities yeah. for students, but also for faculty to extend the reach. Because it's fun teaching to 25 students in my classroom every week, but it'd be equally fun to teach to 2,500 <laughs> uh, and reach students that you know are desperately in need of a higher ed experience. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, it's it's happening, and I I hope and and believe that people like you and me could be part of it. Uh, you know, I, I, I think because we have that, the marketing background, the vision, the technology skills, the ABC, always be curious, <laughs> um, the desire to keep raising the bar. Um, yeah. And that's becoming our career. You and I were talking offline. You know, we've both been in the trenches in marketing at agencies, me mostly, you maybe more on the corporate client side. Um, both similar tracks and now we both find ourselves in education. Let's keep, keep working it, James, and we could help be part Absolutely. of that positive disruption. 
Absolutely. Um, and then the last kind of <laughs> outlook I, I, I could share with you would just be in the world of marketing, where I've got the sense that um, obviously there's going to be ongoing change, right? That's, that goes without saying. It's, it's trite and almost a cliche. Um, but I think the fundamentals that you and I have discussed, I think those are actually timeless. Um, understanding your consumer, looking for unmet needs, communicating benefits, uh, building brands, a lot of that stuff never goes away. What I'm excited about is just the new tools that we're being empowered with, most of them digital, right? That allow us to reach consumers in new ways and communicate uh, in ways that we couldn't imagine 10, 15 years ago. Um, but I would just hope we don't throw the baby with the bathwater um, mm. and, and abandon the principles that have served us so well. I think the challenge for tomorrow's leaders is keep the best of yesterday, um, but overlay it with the tools of tomorrow. And that's something I teach to my students and something I look for with my colleagues uh, every day at work, as a matter of fact. I'm, I'm writing this down. Keep the best of yesterday overlaid with the tools of tomorrow. Some, I yeah. think that is what you just said. That is fantastic, James, says James Gardner. Keep the best of yesterday along with the overlay with the tools of tomorrow. And if we can do that in academia and marketing and social media, geez, in this world, you know, and look we'd out. all be, you know, happier and, and the, we preserve, you know, what the good of what's going on right now and, and what's not would get better. You're absolutely right. Brighter days would be ahead. And, and on that note, a positive note, I'm going to, wrap wind things down wrap things up if you don't mind james i'm going to ask you to tell people and this has been an awesome conversation ridiculously awesome thank you <laughs> thank you thank you and i said i learned more about people geez i've known you for three years or so four years coming into your classroom but i didn't know half of this i didn't know about you maybe three quarters of it tell people so they can take you up maybe on being one of the 2000 people to attend your class when it opens up. <laughs> to that I'm joking, but Hey, it, it's possible. Um, tell people how to reach you, James, how they can contact you on social media or, or any other way. So the two best ways uh, would be uh, on LinkedIn. You can find me uh, by searching for James A. Gardner. Uh, not hard to find. There's not too many of us. And if you mentioned uh, in your note of introduction that you're a listener of Bob's podcast, I'd be happy to connect with you. I'm, I'm sure we'll know mutual people in common and um, it'd be a great jumping off point for a professional relationship. I'd love to also uh, connect with folks on Twitter. You can find me uh, with the handle James A. Gardner, G-A-R-D-N-E-R. And I'm somewhat prolific. I used to be more prolific, um, but you'll usually see me uh, weighing in a couple times a day. and um, certainly eager to make professional connections there and follow people again if you mentioned that uh, you're a friend of bob's yeah you're you're a wealth of knowledge and and you're genuine and authentic and and as human as human gets james and and i owe you a heap of thanks for the opportunities you give me to speak to your students because it's not like i just speak and it's done i speak and you you number one thank me publicly, which is always appreciated because it usually results in contacts. And whether it's because of you thanking me publicly on social media or the the relationships I form in the classroom or those selfies I take that everybody wants to um, be in the selfie. I use my selfie stick and get That's about right. 20 of your students in a picture and we all connect. And like you say, as the students progress, we follow their career, you know, educational journeys, career journeys, and networking and friendships. And that's what it's all about. Uh, Bob, I'm, I'm so glad that you find it a fulfilling experience. That, that means a lot. Um, but truthfully, uh, the, the thanks goes to you uh, for sharing your time, sharing your insights, oftentimes joining us in our classroom, which is a huge ask on a busy schedule like, like I'm sure you have. So we appreciate it. And all my students always appreciate just the support you endlessly show us. So thank you um, 
from all my past and, and present students. <laughs> you got it. It's lifetime. Uh, I will be there for you, James. Okay. Lifetime promise. Listen, I'm going to wind things down. I'm going to thank whoever's been listening, whoever is watching. You noticed I turned off a few lights here because the sun's like beaming down on me from here and causing like this uh, kaleidoscope of colors, as James said, uh, <laughs> something over my head, something in my face, but fantastic conversation, James. And I know anybody listening, anybody watching would, would agree 110%. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. The pleasure has been all mine. So everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. This has been Bob Cargill's Marketing Show with James Gardner, episode 134. It will be today is Tuesday, July 27. We'll have this up either later in the week or early next week, but soon. So it'll be up in late July or the first thing in August. Bob Cargill's Marketing Show with James Gardner. Thank you, James. And for my listeners and viewers, I will see you. I will talk to you again soon. Thanks, James. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone.